This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton to adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. The Sports Yak Podcast is powered by Notre Dame Athletics. Experience the excitement of cheering the Fighting Irish onward to victory. Tickets for Notre Dame Athletic events are available at und.com slash buy tickets. Also by Pyramid Equipment. Be prepared this winter season by checking the condition of your snow removal equipment. Pyramid Equipment is a locally owned business in Rolling Prairie, Indiana that sells, services, and installs residential and commercial grade snow plows, parts, and salt spreaders. Pyramid Equipment is your trusted dealer of Meyer and Snow Dog products. Old man winter's ready. Are you? Service discount for military, fire, and police available. Call 800-833-2591 or find them on the web at PyramidEquipmentInc.com. Family Broadcasting Corporation. In association with the Studio DNA Podcast Network presents Sports Yak. One host knows sports. And who's right there? The other doesn't know sports, but somehow they meet in the middle. Here's your host, Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here! And Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer, this one will be relived, Chuck Freebie. Forever! Welcome to the podcast, episode 170. You mean the Dizzy Trout episode? Dizzy Trout. The former Detroit Tigers pitcher. You may remember his son, Steve Trout, who pitched for the 1984 Cubs. Dizzy Trout won 170 games in his big league career, helped the Tigers to some Great seasons during the World War II years, including 1945 when they beat the Cubs in the World Series. Dizzy Trout, 170 career wins. I'd like to start with a question for you, uh, just to put you on the spot, get your mind juiced up for today's podcast, and then we'll jump into the headlines. Okay. You are a teacher, and you're handing out end-of-the-season report cards. Notre Dame. Overall, as a as a team. Yes. B. IU. Football? B minus. Purdue. Uh, C minus. Back up to that B for Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Three things they could do to get the A. Well, B. Beat a team you're not supposed to beat. Beat a team you're not supposed to beat. Georgia or Michigan. Okay. You know, the the 10 games that Notre Dame won this year, they were favorites in all 10 of those. They were expected to win all 10 of those. The schedule laid out this year where Notre Dame really only had two big games. 
Now, I know there's some that are going to make the argument, well, Chuck, look at the top 25. Virginia Tech, Navy, USC, they all ended the year in the top 25. Well, that's nice. So are house plants. That doesn't mean any of those teams shouldn't have been beaten by this Notre Dame team. Georgia and Michigan, and we, we've gone over this a lot, but the way that Michigan game was lost, the fact that you were non-competitive, you looked like you didn't even have a game plan going into the game. So that that would be one. That, to me, is the major sticking point of why this team is not an A, it's a B. Number two is the run blocking. They've got to find something. in. They've got to find themselves an offensive line coach. Jeff Quinn is not doing the job uh, as the offensive line coach. You look at the mistakes this Notre Dame offensive line makes time and again. And it's not, I think it's because it's the way they're taught. And if you're taught the wrong way to do something, or maybe not the wrong way, but not the best way Mm -hmm. to do something, it's going to reflect in your play. And you look at the way this Irish running game has descended over the last two years. It's a problem. Who is doing the run block correctly? Well, When it, you watch them, you're like, now that's how you do it. Well, when they had Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey and players like that, they ran blocked correctly. But that's because Harry Heastand was the one teaching them. Heastand leaves, goes to the Bears. Now the Bears' offensive line, not that great, but I think that's because of a lack of talent. I'm not sure that Notre Dame's offensive line problems are because of a lack of talent. I think it's because of the way they're being taught. Okay. So that would be number two. And then number three, I would say consistency, especially from the quarterback. And I think that plays into what we talked about in number one. You know, Ian Book statistically had one of the great seasons any Notre Dame quarterback has ever had. 33 touchdowns and six interceptions. You look at his win-loss mark since he's been the Irish starter. It's solid. It's very impressive. But, again, who have you beaten? Who is, what's Ian Book's signature win? What's his best win as a Notre Dame quarterback? Syracuse last year at Yankee Stadium? Maybe. That's not anything that's going to put you into the lore of Irish football. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not going to put you up with Joe Montana or Tony Rice or any of the greats that played at Notre Dame. So, uh, again, it kind of goes back to when is this football program, when is this team going to get a signature win? Okay. Let me ask you this follow-up question. Who was the last signature Notre Dame quarterback? I, w- I would not put Jimmy Clausen there, even though he went into the NFL. I would not put Kaiser there or Zaire there. I I think you'd have to go back to Brady Quinn. Okay. I think you'd have to go back to Brady Quinn as the last... And it's not like he had a sparkling NFL career. But at least Brady Quinn, it seemed, you know, 
had had some wins in there that might have surprised some people. Okay. Well, let's uh, switch gears and jump into what happened last night. Big Ten basketball, IU. IU uh, was impressive. I, I will ad- openly admit that I had questions about this team coming out of its non-conference schedule. They were 7-0, and not having played anybody of any merit, having played them all at home. And honestly, that's not that much different than a lot of major programs do it. I mean, other than the fact that Notre Dame opened the season with North Carolina, the schedule Mike Bray has played has all been at home and all against nondescript teams. So when you look at the record, you say, well, are they that good? And now Florida State comes into Assembly Hall last night. Florida State ranked 17th in the country. So you think, okay, well, here's a test for the Hoosiers. And Devontae Green comes off the bench last night for IU and scores 30 points, career high, 30 points in 29 minutes, mind you. And Indiana blasts Florida State 80-64. to And I think what's most impressive about this IU team, and I, it, to me it speaks volumes. Let's back up a couple of years ago. Remember that Archie Miller recruited Romeo Langford, the kid out of New Albany High School. Mm-hmm. And Romeo was Mr. Basketball in the state of Indiana, and Archie was fairly new to the IU position, and the question was, can he recruit the state? Can he get the best players from the state to stay home and play? So Archie Miller almost had to recruit Romeo Langford. But the problem with having Romeo Langford on the team was he was a black hole. The ball went into Romeo Langford, and it never came out. The ball didn't move around. You didn't have reversals. You didn't have skip passes. You didn't have motion. It was Romeo and the Hoosiers. And it didn't go well last year because of that. So now you subtract Romeo. He goes into the NBA draft and is taken by the Celtics and doesn't even make the roster, by the way. And now you have the rest of the players – the uh, the Jordanaires to Elvis, as you if it were, but they're playing team basketball. They're moving the ball. They're setting screens. They're doing the kinds of things that IU has been known for since the Bob Knight era, and it showed last night on offense. Eighty points. Find the guy with the hot hand. Get open. They shot 55% from the field. Why? Because they were taking open shots. So Indiana looked very good last night in that win over Florida State. You just said something there that made me think about our conversation with Steve Draben. When you're recruiting, you're looking for a player that will fit into the program we're trying to do. And when you recruit a Romeo Langford and he is the whole, you know, that probably wasn't part of the deal. Archie wants this, but it's like, well, that's the kind of player. But like you said... You're recruiting the state, and you got to get the best player to stay at Bloomington. For, for Archie's own reputation yeah. at IU, had Romeo Langford gone somewhere else, no matter how he performed, it would have been seen as a black mark against Archie Miller, yeah. fairly or unfairly. Okay. Interesting. Let's keep an eye on Indiana. So, also last night, Louisville, ranked number one, Shuts down Michigan. Uh oh. 57 to 43. 
Corey, the 43 points scored by Michigan, does that sound low to you? A little bit. Yeah, because it is. It's the second lowest point total scored by a top five team in the AP poll since the shot clock was put in. So Louisville did a great defensive job on Michigan. And Jawan Howard is going to have to learn from this and build on this and try to reshape his team a little bit as they go into Big Ten play because Louisville obviously looked at some of the things that Michigan did in the uh, Battle for Atlantis tournament and said, okay, we find some things that we can attack here. And they basically took Simpson away from Michigan and made the rest of the Wolverines try to beat them. And they could. Pardon my sports ignorance, but is Louisville still a team that's under a very watchful eye? Should be. I, I think that program always demands scrutiny. Uh, they've got a new coach in there after Rick Patino and Chris Mack. And Chris Mack has the reputation for being a good guy, but that doesn't mean that there aren't people behind the scenes at Louisville doing things that they shouldn't. Okay, I, I've always looked at Louisville. Louisville looks at itself as a team that should be in the SEC, and they do a lot of SEC-style things down there, including cheating. So Louisville with the win last night. Duke goes into the Breslin Center and hands Tom Izzo's team an 87-75 loss. Now, Izzo's team still isn't um, at full strength, and Cassius Winston can only do so much. And let's face it, Duke always has talent, and that's the case again. So this isn't a great surprise. I'm sure the Spartan faithful would have liked to have seen their team play some better defense. I'm sure Tom Izzo would have liked to have seen that. Wasn't the case last night. Big 10 ACC Challenge continues tonight. Mike Bray takes his team into College Park, Maryland to take on the Maryland Terrapins, who are ranked number three in the country. There are a lot of people, myself included, who feel like Maryland is somewhat overrated. Now, Notre Dame played very well in its opener at North Carolina. And Mike really feels like they've the Irish have developed in some areas that weren't ready to go at North Carolina. Primarily the play of his sophomores, Nate Lashevsky and Dane Goodwin, has become better as that month has gone along. So now it's been a month since you played that opener. Let's see how you do now against a top-flight opponent on the road. Big test for the Irish tonight. The transfer portal is open, and it's in working condition. (laughs) I I will tell this story in the podcast because I know the person that it includes uh, will not be offended because we've already exchanged tweets about this. Tom Noy wrote a huge story in the South Bend Tribune today about Chris Doherty entering the transfer portal. And if you say, who's Chris Doherty? Well, you'd have a right to say that because he's played 15 minutes this year for Notre Dame in, what, eight games? This is a freshman? No, he's sophomore. Sophomore. Now, it's not all about playing time. Uh, apparently, Chris Doherty got very homesick last year. Where's he from? Uh, the Northeast, the Boston area. Okay. And so he got very homesick last year and almost left last year 
And Notre Dame was going to redshirt him, and then the Irish had all these injuries last season. And all of a sudden, in the middle of January, Chris Doherty gets inserted into a game for the first time. And the basketball redshirt rule is a lot different than the football redshirt rule. Football redshirt rule, you can play up to four games at any time in the year and maintain your redshirt. No one just saw the very quizzical eyebrow move you just made. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. I, I. So I want to say to you, you, you find that odd. Or... Well, I just, I find the inconsistency between the two sports a bit alarming. Okay. Because football, you can play four games at any time of the year. Notre Dame saved Isaiah Foskey for the Stanford game because they felt they wanted a really good pass rusher in there. So Brian Kelly, like going into uh, a Golden Corral and picking a la carte from the buffet said, well, I'm going to play Isaiah Foskey against these four teams, still keep his red shirt. Well, Mike Bray doesn't have that opportunity. If you play a kid basically after January 1, whether he plays one minute or a 1,000, you've used up his season. Okay. And he got to a point last year where there were so many injuries, he didn't have a choice. He had to look at his bench and say, Chris Doherty, I know we had this deal that you were going to redshirt, but I got to play it. And so Chris Doherty played a little bit last year. But he wasn't going to get playing time this year. You've got Mooney and Jawan Durham and Nate Lashesky, and he's just not going to see the floor. And then uh, Notre Dame's got two power forwards coming in next year, and it looks like Durham's probably going to stay for a fifth year. And... So where's the playing time coming from there? So Chris Doherty decided it's time for me to get closer to home and be more comfortable. But the joke that Tom and I tweeted about was Tom runs this massive story in the Tribune today. And I said online, I said, I think this story has more inches than Doherty had minutes. And he goes, well, it's 22 inches and he only had 15 minutes. <laughs> Chuck, you never have to apologize for shooting me the people's eyebrow. In fact, I welcome it. Well, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. All right, so it's Notre Dame and Purdue. I'm sorry, Maryland tonight. Yeah, we forgot to mention Purdue, which is a kind of a sin considering they're on our radio station, 103.1 FM. This is a, a very interesting game tonight for Matt Painter's squad. They take on the defending national champion, Virginia Cavaliers, in Mackey Arena. Mackey, I think is always one of the loudest arenas. It's just configured in such a way. It's uh, To me, it, it's the basketball arena equivalent of the old Roman Coliseum hmm. in the way it's constructed. The seats go up, and at that angle, it's just... And, and the crowd goes wild. They love their basketball in West Lafayette. And that sound just reverberates through that place. Don't they have an elevated playing floor as well? They used to. Oh, is that gone? Yeah. Okay. So, um, and now Virginia comes in, and Tony Bennett's got another solid team. But Purdue is actually a two-and-a-half-point favorite despite all their offensive struggles that they've had. And, folks, I'm going to tell you now, if you've had offensive struggles before you play Virginia, they're not going to heal up playing the Cavaliers who probably play the best defense of any school in the country. 
So we'll take care of that Purdue game on 103.1 here locally. At the same time, Notre Dame's women play on 92-1 and 96-9. They have an 8 o'clock tip-off tonight at Purcell Pavilion against Minnesota. And if you're asking what to expect from the Irish in this game, who knows? You know, they're 5-4. and four. They are a young team, and they're marvelous in their inconsistency. They they have inconsistency <laughs> down. So, you know, Bob Nagel, courtside, talked to him about this yesterday. He he doesn't know what to expect. They could come out and play gangbusters against Minnesota. They could get run off the floor. That's part of the beauty of following this team this year is because after years and years of just, okay, Notre Dame's going to go 30-3 and and they're – they're going to struggle against the Yukons and Tennessees of the world, but everybody else, they're going to steamroll. Uh, that's not the case anymore. Let's talk some local high school hoops. There were some games last night. Yeah, I was at Northside Gym last night. Um, Did you pick a seat for Friday? Well, I know where my seat is for Friday. I didn't <laughs> sit there because uh, another broadcaster was in it last night. I thought that would be uncomfortable for both of us. Uh, I sat down by the court and watched Goshen and Elkhart Central because we have Elkhart Central and Elkhart Memorial Friday in the 46th game of the week. I like to see the teams that I'm going to be calling if possible. So um, Elkhart Central has a new coach in Scott Seckle. He's a former Michigan State player, played for Judd Heathcote, and he really wants his team to play man-to-man defense. Elkhart Central last year played nothing but 1-3-1 zone for Barry Singray. So now they're playing man. And I thought for the better part of the first half, they played really good man-to-man defense. Had Goshen, young Goshen team just throttled. Um, Moved the ball fairly well. Had some good set plays on offense. Built a 24-13 lead. And then Goshen, behind the outside shooting of Drew Hogan, who hits one three, and then a second three, and then a somebody want to cover the guy? Third three. 24-24 24-24 at the half. Uh, Goshen comes out. They go back and forth. I say Chandler hits a floater in the lane right before the third quarter buzzer. It's 33-32 Central. Central builds a 38-34 lead and has that lead entering the final minute of play in regulation. And then again, they just lose guys going to the outside. And this kid named Zach Barker for Goshen Steps out to the top of the key, hits a three, makes it 38-37. Blazers come down, take an ill-advised shot. Goshen gets the rebound. They run the same play. And Barker is open, top of the key, nothing but the bottom of the net. 18 points, hits the game winner with 10 seconds left. Blazers don't get off a good shot. And Goshen wins 40-38. to Kudos to Michael Wolford, his team 2-0 for the first time since 2013 Blazers have some soul searching to do and they don't have a lot of time to do it before Friday because here comes Elkhart Memorial their crosstown rival coming off a 77-48 win over Elkhart Christian last night now Elkhart Christian not the strongest team but Memorial showed really good balance last night Brandon Brooks had 14 points and 11 rebounds to lead the Chargers so Kyle Sears team gets off to a good start as did St. Joe. They handled Concord last night, 55-27. South Bend Clay picking up a win over South Bend Career Academy last night. 
And Tippy Valley beats Argus 43-40. What makes that noteworthy is Argus was ranked number nine in Class 1A. Hey, can I hit the pause button for a second? Mm-hmm. Uh, new head coach of Elkhart football. Josh Shattuck. I saw a tweet yesterday. I'd love to talk to this guy if we ever get a chance. I'm sure we could line something up. He tweeted out yesterday about how many different colleges he heard from in one day yesterday. Oh, I'm sure. And it was pretty interesting. And But he was basically saying, there's some talent in Elkhart. Oh, there is. Yeah. I mean, Mark Brownlee, who is on the central basketball team, is headed to Ball State. They've got... Uh, an offensive tackle, defensive tackle, Jonathan Decker, who's headed to Central Michigan. And then the big prize recruit that a lot of colleges, he's narrowed his list to 11, is Rodney McGraw, the defensive end for Elkhart Central, who is on a lot of teams' radars. Wow, imagine being a high school player with 11 different opportunities. Well, and isn't this part of the problem with with recruiting is all these schools come after these kids and – they just, I'm going to use the term spoiled. Okay. They spoiled. And then you're asking this kid who is having his head inflated to, you know, blimp-like proportions by these schools to kind of make up his mind to make his decision. I don't know anything about Rodney's family life. I hope he's got a mom and a dad that can help him with this. But I also think Josh Shattuck going through this, and admittedly, kind of for the first time in his career, but at least having gone through it now with Brownlee and Decker, can kind of add some counsel and advice to Rodney as to making his decision. Let's give the girls some podcast minutes. Penn was ranked number 7 in 4A. Marion was ranked number 5 in 3A. They got together last night, and Trinity Clinton, the outstanding Penn guard, dominates this game. She scores 21 points. And the Kingsmen roll yet again. Christy Kineski's team continues to play great defense. They win 53-33 in that NIC showdown, tying them for first in the league. Uh, Northwood and Warsaw played a big game in the NLC last night. Northwood won at Warsaw for the first time since 2007, beat the Tigers by the count of 43-38. So Adam Yoder's team uh, got a big game from Kate Ruley, 17 points, 14 rebounds, I believe. And the Northwood Bigs dominated the boards against Warsaw. I think they out-rebounded them something like 41-10. to 10. It wasn't even close. So kudos to the Warsaw guards for keeping the score as close as they did. Uh, you look elsewhere, Morgan Township upsets North Judson last night, 47-41. to 41. That's a big win for Morgan Township because North Judson was ranked number five in the 2A poll. Uh, some other winners last night, Clay Riley. Congratulations to Jasmine Watts. She passes 1,000 points in her career, had 26 last night to lead the Cats past Adams, 59-52. to And there's some more girls basketball tonight with South Bend Washington going over to Northside Gym to take on Will Cody's Central Blue Blazers. It's time for another podcast within the podcast. Oh, my goodness, what a play! This podcast is called Rant. You know, one thing that concerns me, Corey, about the high school game. Okay. I'm sitting in Northside Gym last night. It's a Tuesday night. And, man, you could have shot off a cannon and hit a lot of empty bleachers. There were some huge swaths of unused seats last night. Part of the problem is you're playing on Tuesdays, playing in the middle of the week, 
and there is so much good college basketball on television these days, whether it's cable or satellite or what have you, that a lot of people opt to stay home and watch that. The other problem is, you know, the game I was at, the final score was 40 to 38. And we've really seen a huge decline in scoring in high school boys basketball, particularly over the years. And I think part of it is the fault of the three-point shot. And you might say, well, Chuck, the three-point shot is supposed to increase scoring in basketball. No, what it was supposed to do was increase the chance for a team to be able to come back in a game. So now if you're down by six, you only need two possessions rather than three. That makes sense. So what it has done is if you look at a shot chart for a typical high school team, and I guarantee if I looked at Elkhart Central shot chart from last night, here's what I would see. I would see 10 shots beyond the three-point arc. They went three for 10. A bunch of layup-type shots. Some of them made, some of them missed. And very few in that area in between. Hmm. Whereas, and I don't want to sound like back-in-my-day guy, but before the three-point shot, one of the more coveted shots was that area between 10 and 15 feet. If you could hit those shots you were going to win games. And virtually very few shots come from those areas anymore because everybody is practicing the three-point shot. And you only have to hit 33% on three-pointers to match hitting 50% on two-pointers. But the problem is there's very few high school teams that shoot 33% from three-point range. So now you're taking all these shots outside the arc, you're missing them, and you're wasting possessions. And I never thought I'd hear myself say this, but I would like to see a shot clock in high school basketball. It doesn't have to be a tight shot clock, like 45 seconds for possession. So teams aren't burning a minute off the clock looking for looking for a three-point shot. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times last night I saw teams burn that much time off the clock and take a three-point shot. That shot can be taken at any time. If you're going to burn that much time, get a layup. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I just think I saw athleticism, but I didn't see basketball players out on the floor last night. And I think there's fewer and fewer kids who really understand the game and know how to get open and know how to get their shot and can work within the team concept. It's it's a bit of a complicated game. That's the beauty of it. But doggone it. If you're not why would I come out to see a 40 to 38 game? Do I, you add the shot clock in middle school or high school to get them ready for what might be next? Sure. Why not? Middle school? Yeah. Okay. Why not? That's part of the game, now, right? Obviously, it's an it's an expense. Schools are going to have to go out and get these, and then they're going to have to hire a clock operator to be able to run them. I get it, but you got to do something to put some to put some fans in the stands to put some interest into this. The other thing is when again the back in my day comment. 
we played Friday and Saturday. The only time we ever played on a Tuesday was a holiday tournament or the sectional. And I realized back then girls basketball wasn't what it was now. So not everybody can play on Friday, Saturday. You gotta stretch this out. You've got an official shortage. You can't play all the games on the weekends. But when you play on a Tuesday night, this is what you're gonna get. Yeah. And I don't know, I mean, I don't know what the agreement is with Northside Gym and and rental costs and things like that, but holy smokes, it, it just it it hurts me inside to walk into a gym like that and see it as empty as it is for a county rivalry. Elkhart Central and Goshen should bring some folks to the stands, and they weren't there last night. You've been listening to the podcast within the podcast. Incredible. Now back to Sports Yak. I don't want to blow past uh, Bethel University, man. 10 and 0. Steve Draven has done a heck of a job. It helps. <laughs> it helps a lot to have a player of the quality of Travion Cruz. He has been phenomenal this year. Last night, he had 39 points, scores the game winning three, and Bethel wins it. 91 to 89 over Spring Arbor, the defending national champ, ranked number nine, I believe it was, in this year's NAIA poll. So, I mean, Corey, I, when we interviewed Steve in what was the late October, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he was hiding his card somewhat, but he honestly sounded like he didn't really know what to expect from this team. And, you know, maybe we can touch base with him. Um, in early January, but I would be curious to hear, okay, this is what you wanted to implement. How did it get implemented so quickly? Because this has been a phenomenal success story for Bethel this year. I was talking to a Bethel staff person. I don't want to throw them under the bus by mentioning their name in case they don't want this to be said, but he said, man, we've just been playing awful. Just been playing awful. I said, 10 and 0? It's not awful. He's like, yeah, but e- e- how we get to ten and zero? But just you know, there's there's some things that need some fine tuning. And I said, well, that's going to happen. But you got to be excited about ten and zero with a new coach. Yeah, I would think so. You know, four guys that came back, and the rest are all newbies to the town. And now, know. when you went to the Bethel game, mm-hmm. what was the crowd like? Uh not too shabby. It was a Fort Wayne crowd. It was St. Francis. Okay, so it wasn't. Uh, you know, and they have the girls' game and the men's game. Right. Um, I have seen more people there before, mm-hmm. but they were also retiring a coach. So, I mean, it was, it's like, where are the students at? You and know? I think it was, I, what did I go to, a Saturday? Yeah. Uh, no, I went to a weeknight game. Yeah. And again. Well, that's... I think it goes back to what you said to him at the end of that conversation. Recruit local players. And the local people will come out because they follow him and the yeah. fans and the relatives and the, you know, whatever. Sure. So I I think you're on to something there. I wanted to see Gabe Johnson get some more minutes. He's not quite there yet. Well, yeah, and, and Steve has to coach his team to win games and yes. not to just entertain people. Right. The, the fact of the matter is the style of basketball played in the Crossroads League, I think, is an entertaining style to watch. They get up and down the floor. I will agree with you on that. Uh, you said something this morning on Morning Sports that caught my attention. The Saint sign Manti Teo 
Manti Teo signs with the New Orleans Saints, who have had a ton of injuries at linebacker. Now, Teo played with them for the last two years and then was not re-signed this year. Uh, So they came to him and signed him and will likely activate him as a middle linebacker to play for New Orleans for the rest of the 2019 season. Uh, Might seem hard to believe that he's already out of football, but that's a typical football life is six to seven years for an NFL career. He he had a very strong start to his career in San Diego, got dinged up, injuries will take their toll, and, you know, you might think, well, you know, but he rehabilitated. It doesn't take much to lose a step, and a step sometimes is the difference between making a team and not making a team. Interesting. Follow Chuck on Twitter. Oh! At 46 Sports, follow Corey on Twitter at my name is Corey. College football playoff rankings came out last night. Okay. Um, they kept the same top four, Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, Georgia. Utah is now the number five team. LSU plays Georgia in the SEC title game this weekend, Corey. Let's say LSU beats Georgia. Do you care about seeing Utah in the college football playoff? I was surprised that you just told me that they were in the top five. Top five. I so, know nothing about that team. So my my answer, I guess, would be no. Uh, Utah does nothing to move the needle for you for the college football playoff. What do you do with that? The committee should not make decisions based on you know team popularity or TV ratings or anything like that. They should make it on whether a team has earned its spot in there. And if Utah beats Oregon in the Pac-12 title game, I don't know that that impresses me all that much. Now, who would you replace them with? Well, you could replace them with Oklahoma if Oklahoma beats Baylor in the Big 12 title game. Or, conversely, you could replace them with Baylor if Baylor beats Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. Again, out of those three teams, I guess it's because of reputation and maybe a little bit because of the storyline if you have Jalen Hurts in the playoff for Oklahoma after the years that he spent at Alabama. Maybe that moves the needle a little bit, but I think part of the problem with college football is there is such a clear-cut division, or appears to be, between the undefeated teams and the teams with one loss that I'm not sure that those semifinals in the college football playoff are going to be that compelling. Okay, Mr. Network Executive, you get the rights, you get the choices. Give me your best entertaining college football playoff that you would enjoy watching. Eight teams. Eight teams. Rather than four. Okay. An eight-team playoff. And um, now it it's going to play havoc with Christmas and everything, but I think you would have the quarterfinals where you have the semifinals now, and then you would um, have a final four round and then the national championship game sometime around the second week of January. Now, that's adding another layer of games, and and these kids are already going to play 15 games by the time this is all done. Um, So maybe that's too many games, but 
I think the eight-team playoff, then yes, and you're still going to have the argument over who's number eight or number nine, just like you have the argument in college basketball over who's number 64 and 65. Mm-hmm. But I think it would I think it would make for more compelling storylines. As it is now, Ohio State, Utah. <laughs> yeah. That that sound of that the sound Utes. of silence. The Utes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, LSU Clemson, very interesting. You'll pay attention to that. Yeah. Okay. But Ohio State, Utah. Chuck, we are minutes away from the LaCie Family Broadcasting Corporation Christmas Trivia Luncheon. Yes. You are on what I feel is a confident, competitive trivia team. What are your thoughts going into You're today? more confident than I am. Am I? Yeah. Are you not feeling it? I just, I, I go into this kind of just like, okay, what are they going to throw at us here? Mm-hmm. Five categories, ten questions each. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chuck and I are on the same team. I recruited him very early in the process. High stakes. High stakes. I heard one of our teammates in the hallway say, third place is a sucker. Yeah. I don't know if that's a metaphor or an actual No, I prize. think it's an actual, like, dumb-dumb sucker. Well, on Friday's episode, we can reveal what happened. And we will. Mm-hmm. I feel good about this. All right. I hope you do as well. Yes. You can always contact us, the sports yak with two Ks at gmail.com. Chuck, you're on the uh, Twitter, aren't you? At 46 Sports. We are as well, 2Ks, sports yak with two Ks. Thanks for listening. This is episode 170. Until next time, yak fans. Ooga looga, dizzy trout. You've been listening to Sports Yak with Chuck Freeby and Corey Mann as himself. Produced by Corey Mann. Production elements and voiceovers by AudibleGenesis.com. Engineered by Phil Souza. Executive producer is Danae Hughes. In partnership with the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Interested in your own podcast? Contact Danae at Danae at StudioDNA.media. Sports Yak Archives available on iTunes, Spotify, and Spreaker.com. Everybody get out of here. There's a lobster loose. Oh, holy cow, he's loose. You've been listening to Sports Yak, brought to you by Notre Dame Athletics. Experience the excitement of cheering the Fighting Irish onward to victory. Tickets for Notre Dame Athletic events available at und.com slash buy tickets. And buy Pyramid Equipment. Think Pyramid Equipment for your snowplow needs, sales, services, and installations of residential and commercial-grade snowplows, parts, and salt spreaders. Pyramid offers military, police, and firemen's discounts. Find us, pyramidequipmentinc.com.